everyone, welcome to In Brackets. In this episode, our assistant producer Tyler McCloskey sits down with Lori Jaquila. Lori is a professor at Pitt Greensburg and also in the MFA program at Chatham University. She and Tyler sit down to talk about the costs and benefits of vulnerability in writing. And just a reminder that we are now on Spotify, so you can listen to In Brackets on the go. Search In Brackets under the podcast section of Spotify and look for the green and white logo. Give us a follow. All right, without further ado, here is Tyler and Lori. Hey, everybody. This is Tyler McCloskey here for the In Brackets podcast. I'm sitting here with one of my all-time favorite writers, Lori Jaquila. Uh, Lori is the author of six books, her most recent collection being Portrait of a Bingo Worker. She also writes essays that explore topics ranging from adoptive relationships to being a flight attendant to sex chairs. <laughs> Lori directs the undergraduate writing program at Pitt Greensburg, and she also teaches in the MFA program at Chatham University. Really excited for you to be here, Lori. Thank you for braving the weather, and welcome. Oh, oh, thanks for having me. It's wonderful to be here. Um, I was thinking we could just start right off without skipping a beat. Um, let's talk sex chairs. <laughs> okay. Uh, so recently, the New York Times podcast Modern Love released an audio version of your essay that was titled The Plain Unmarked Box Arrived, mm -hmm. and it was narrated by Kristen Bell in this instance. Um, I'm curious, what is it like to hear someone else read your story? Um, well strange. <laughs> I thought Kristen Bell did a better me than I do, which is really cool. Um, well, it wasn't so much like hearing her read it. It was more um, when I went into the studio to do the podcast, it was a really strange experience because I brought my daughter with me. And she's 14. And she had no idea about that essay or what it was about. And I just thought it would be nice to bring her because we were going to WQED to Mr. Rogers stomping ground. Um, and then they put headphones on her so she could hear everything and just <laughs> watching her face. And so she's been sworn to absolute secrecy. Um, but yeah, so it was like the first time I like really had to own up to it in front of like one of my kids, which is something people say a lot to me and not to my husband, who's a writer, which is really interesting. Like, what are you going to do when your kids read this stuff? And I'm like, ah, it's fine. You I know. actually, it wasn't too long ago that I saw both of you and your husband, Dave Newman, yeah. for those who don't know, um, at a writing event. And I asked him that exact question. I said, <gasps> how do you feel about, what do you think your kids are going to think once they read your writing or what, what do you think your kids will write? Yeah. To which he was kind of like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, thanks for asking him because nobody ever asks him that. I think it's like they ask me because I'm a mom, you know, and they're like, oh. And I, I don't write um, anything that I think is particularly edgy, though my husband does, by the way. <laughs> um, he's, yeah, he's always more concerned, like, what his parents might think or, or something like that rather than what his kids would think, um, which is interesting. That's very interesting. Uh -huh. um, so... Getting back to like the the process of the podcast, like mm -hmm. from going from writing this piece that was, I mean, it was a little while ago, and it was mm -hmm. just recently adapted yeah. last year. What was the process of you know going from this written piece to audio story on a podcast? Yeah, I you know the New York Times editors uh, have a bank, I guess, of their like favorite modern love pieces, and then they give these to celebrities who get to choose. 
what they do. And uh, I knew that existed, but I didn't really ever think about it. Um, and then when, when they called me to tell me they were going to do it, I was like, oh, um, that's awesome. And then I was like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> because mm -hmm. when, when the piece first came out, in fact, um, you know, I like, I think a lot of writers, you know, I just, I really don't pay attention too much to what I'm saying beyond, is it true? You know, do I really want, you know, this is something I want to explore and I want to talk about or I think is funny or weird. And then when it first came out, you know, um, not my children, but some of my students are like, <laughs> um, so, you know, but that was like years ago. And then now it came back up. And so now I have students who sort of walk around and go, <laughs> um, they, they won't talk to me directly about it, which I really appreciate a lot. But um, it was like, I didn't expect it to have a resurgence. Um, and, and Modern Love Now is doing a TV series, too. So um, that's really interesting. Oh, wow. Do you think it's going to be adapted into a TV? I, <laughs> a little I don't short? I don't know. <laughs> No, and maybe Kristen I, Bell will be available for that one fantastic, too. Fantastic, but yeah, it's <laughs> it's the it's the gift that keeps giving, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, in um, the plan on Mark Box arrived. That was included in your latest essay collection, yeah. uh, Portrait of a Bingo Worker. And right after that, there's an essay that um, kind of like directly speaks to it, called "P.S. Clarifications and Corrections." And I'm curious, how did you come to write a response piece to that? Well, the the unmarked box, the, the sex chair piece, um, you know, it, lots of people would ask me at readings to read it and things like that. And um, I, I mentioned my husband twice now in this interview, but uh, we're, you know, we're both writers and we look at each other's work and things like that. And he's always given me a bit of a hard time about it. He's like, well, you're not telling the whole truth about that. That's really, you know, that's the really like um, made for the New York Times version of it, you know. And I'm like, oh, I'm telling absolutely the truth. And then he just kept saying it. And I said, all right, <laughs> OK. <laughs> um, and so I went back in and I just included um you know, all the backstory, like uh, the things that I, I wouldn't normally talk about, things that were more difficult to talk about. Um, so, you know, I really wanted to see if I could push the edges of that. So it's not just just a funny story about, you know, this weird thing that we happened to, to purchase at one point, which is still in our basement. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, that was more about, you know, the real struggles of being married people and trying to come together and the way the world interferes with that. So I really wanted to sort of see if I could do it and also just to, to show him. Right, right. <laughs> and I'm, I'm also kind of curious to follow that up, like where some of the sections, so that essay is kind of like written out in like ABC, A to Z mm. kind of yeah. like format. Yeah. Um, were some of those things originally in that first draft that were kind of like edited out or that was strictly like its own new kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, strictly its own new thing, like sort of answering back. I mean, originally when I was trying to revise the piece, I tried to like sort of insert all that stuff into it. And I thought, no, 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 it's better um, to try this other other form for it and yeah. just to just to let it loose. So I really love some of the things that you said about kind of like writing for certain literary audi audiences yeah. um like if you're writing for one magazine there are certain things that maybe in that essay might not have made the final cut or something like that yeah i mean i think you know sort sort of for like a new york times audience they wouldn't be as interested in talking about you know the financial aspect of raising children <laughs> for instance <laughs> i mean maybe they would um but you know um there are lots of things that that i felt like i wanted to um 
to talk about that I think are, are real for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So I yeah. hope are anyway. I think that's important. Um, and that kind of brings me to my next question. I, I kind of want to talk about another piece in that same collection titled uh, There Is No Dust in My House. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and at the very beginning, you, you kind of also say that you were on the love story beat. Yes. So it seems like you've been <laughs> dabbling. There's a theme. Um, and in that essay, you write about a woman who got upset that you wrote about the dust yeah. in her home. Um, and in a lot of your work, you write um, about vulnerability. And I'm wondering how writers can responsibly handle the vulnerability of their subjects in their own writing. Right. Yeah, that's such a good question. I mean, I think... You know, as a writer, you evolve as a writer, and as a human, you evolve as a human, and those aren't separate <laughs> things at all. Um, that piece that you're talking about, I was a really young reporter, and I, you know, um, these people had invited me into their home, and I was supposed to do this, you know, sort of fluffy love story piece about this couple that had been married for many years, and they were in their 80s, I believe. Um, and they gave me tea and cookies and had me in their home. And I was simply describing, you know, what I saw in their home. And I looked around and I saw antiques and things. And I saw a little bit of dust on the antiques. And I thought that was a nice luminous detail um, without realizing that I was dealing with someone who was, you know, a woman who'd been a homemaker who was in her 80s who really prided herself on her house and that, you know, and it's really funny because when she called me, she was so sweet and she called the newsroom and just was screaming at me. And I thought, I didn't even think she was capable of screaming. She was so sweet. Um, but, you know, I thought I had let her husband swear in the article and she was mad at me for that. But no, she was mad about the dust because um, it meant something to her that I would never have understood when I was in my 20s. Um, you know, that it meant that she, you know, it was insulting her as a homemaker. It was saying that she was lazy or, you know, all these things that, that, you know, as a younger person, I just wouldn't be sensitive to, you know. And I think a lot of life is like that, like where you're not, you know, empathy is, is something that, you know, of course, I like to think as human beings we're born with, but I think it evolves as you, as you get older and older and you start to understand um where people might be be sensitive or where they're coming from and to try to you know pay attention to that and yeah and, and still tell the truth you know so figuring out what to leave in and what to leave out mm. is important yeah yeah um and then further along in that essay you kind of turn that lens on yourself a bit um you write about what it was like to write your memoir belief is its own kind of truth maybe and we see a lot of characters building their own realities with the stories that they tell themselves in that memoir. Um, and we see the characters, including yourself, in very vulnerable moments. And I'm curious what it was like to write those kinds of moments. Um, that book was so hard for me to write. Um, it's about, you know, and people are like, well, what's it about? And I'm like, what's well, about adoption? But it's also about being a mother. It's also about losing my mother. It's also about grief. It's about family. Um, it's about all like the, you know, for me, the very tender spots <laughs> in my life, you know. Um, but the hardest part of it was, you know, uh, the adoption part of it, like as an adopted person, you don't really know the truth of your story, the full truth. Not that anyone really knows the full truth of their story, you know, adopted or not. But um, there were a lot of blanks a lot of holes to fill and then a lot of secrets you know it's like well which stories are mine to tell what can I say what can't I say whose privacy should I protect 
including, you know, everyone from, say, my birth mother to my mother to my children, um, you know, so there's a lot of, a lot of choices I had to make. So it was, it was really, really hard, and to just keep pushing at it to say, you know, I want to tell the truest story I can about how this feels, and, it, and also about um, with adoption, the language is very strange. Like, you know, you're trying to figure out what do I call, you know, a birth mother or an adopted mother, and I would never call my mother who raised me adopted mother. She's my mother. Um, but you have to sort of navigate that territory, too. And every single step of the way felt like it could hurt someone, you know, everything. Um, right. So, so you know. going back to something that you were just saying um, kind of leads me to the question, what stories can we write? Um, I love Anne Lamott. She gives me, <laughs> me hope for everything. But Anne Lamott says beautifully, you know, uh, you are entitled to write everything that happens to you. You know, if people wanted to appear better in your work, they should have appeared better in life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so as to not worry about it. But Anne Lamott also, um, it, you know, if you read her work, she has such a good heart. She's a good person. You know, she's she doesn't write to hurt people, although they might be hurt. And I hear her voice in my head um, a lot like that. And, you know, try to keep your heart as good as possible and not write with malice, not write to hurt somebody. And understanding that the very act of writing or making art in general is an aggressive act. So, and then live with that. <laughs> right, right. So where so, where do you find the, the courage? Where does the courage come from to kind of like delve into those very personal, intimate kind of things? I don't know if it's courage or stupidity. Oh, okay. <laughs> I have to think about that. No, um, well, you know, I mean... I think writers, well, you know, because as a writer, you know this, like you're driven to write things and you're driven. I mean, I write to figure things out that really, you know, are confusing to me. And that's like the way I interpret the world, you know, whereas scientists might look at, you know, cells and molecules. And um, I, I look at these things and I'm driven to like put them on paper so that I can figure them out. Um, you know, I yeah, I don't know if it's a courage thing or a compulsion or just mm. you're born into it you know people are, are like um i want to be a writer and like why would you want to do that you know but if you if you are one you know it because you're sort of driven to to do those things and you know writing is not the most exciting art form you're sort of usually sitting in a dark room alone hunched over <laughs> yes to have terrible posture <laughs> vitamin d deficiency um you know, so, I mean, if you're driven to it, you're driven to it. And I think there's there's nothing you can do about it. Mm -hmm. So, And I think you kind of speak to that at the end of that essay. Um, there's no dust in my house. And you were saying that, um, you know, that it, it is important for you to be able to tell those stories. Mm -hmm. And a question that I had is what, what do you think the cost of writing one's own personal truths could be? Oh, huge. I, I can, there's, yes. Um, I'll, I'll say the benefit of it first and then I'll say the cost of it. The benefit of it, um, for instance, with uh, Belief, the book about adoption, the benefit for me has been um, connecting with a lot of other people who uh, are part of the adoption experience um, who haven't been able to tell their own stories or haven't told their own stories for, for whatever reason, um, making like everything feel less lonely, 
and feel like if you tell if you tell your story then maybe somebody else can feel a little better and maybe somebody else can say oh I'm not alone in this I'm not crazy I'm not you know an outsider in the way that I thought I was um so that's really the the reward for doing it is that the world feels a lot less lonely even if it's just for a little bit um the cost of doing it is anything from you know of course people get angry (laughs) with you um you know there's this wonderful poem by Lucille Clifton that I stole as an epigraph for that book this you know people be mad at me sometimes and it's like because they 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 tell me to tell the story um and they mean their story and I keep going and I keep telling mine um I butchered that poem but um so you know anything that you say like for instance dust if you mention dust somebody could be very very upset by that and you wouldn't see it coming other things you can see coming you know if you know if I write this thing down somebody has told me don't write about that I mean people will, will say that to me you have to promise that you won't write about that and I'm like I can't ever promise that to you I can promise I'll be careful or I'll promise I'll let you see it or I'll promise you know but I won't promise that I won't do it you know which is kind of the cost of having writers in your family or friends <laughs> um, it's what we do um, so there's always that people just sort of getting angry um, severing family relationships is always a thing depending on how you write about family you know you have to be willing to deal with the fallout of that um, if you write about work <laughs> what you do where you do it <laughs> that can be a problem you know some people just don't like um you know the way they're portrayed even if it's a positive um if I would think it was a positive portrait of them um so there's all sorts of interpersonal things that happen um and you know that's sort of the cost like when I say this is what you do try to be careful and then live with it <laughs> yeah that's you know, cost. so yeah. So I'm kind of hearing like the the pros and cons of it, mm-hmm. the cost of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is is it worth it? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, um, I I I you know I think about being a writer. Could I ever stop being a writer? It's like no. I I'm happiest when I'm writing. Um, the world makes the most sense to me when I'm writing, and. Um, that I can find some order in it gives me peace um, in the same way that reading books by writers I love gives me peace. So um, finding little bits of peace is worth it anywhere, anywhere you can find them, I think. I think it, that's beautiful. Um, and I think a, a natural companion to being vulnerable is also being sensitive. Um, and we see this in your essay that just came out uh, a couple weeks ago called God Damn It, Be Kind. Um, I was wondering what motivated you to write this piece well you know I mean my, my daughter's into professional wrestling which is always fascinating to me and I always want to write about it because it's super thing? cool I don't know maybe I mean it's very big here I have no idea how big it was um when Anthony Bourdain came to Pittsburgh he covered professional wrestling and, That's people, why I asked. and people were like why is he doing that I'm like well because there's this whole underground thing that that if you if you don't know about it you don't know it's huge um and my daughter found it on her own and it's just something that she really loves and it's just bizarre and awesome so I always want to write about that but the motivation behind it is um I struggle like every parent I think in the world struggles like every human being struggles like you know how do we live in the world 
when the world is so beautiful and so terrible and those things happen simultaneously one after another you know and how can there be beauty when there's such terribleness um and for me uh, the the shootings in squirrel hill were they really like for everyone in pittsburgh and across the nation really um hit hard and that was you know and i was thinking how do i raise my daughter in a world where these things exist and that sounds so cliche and so you know everyone has thought that since the beginning of time um but I was trying to figure figure that out, like how how do we teach kindness and 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 love of beauty and hope, you know, while while all these things really do exist, you know, like every day I drive my daughter to school and I see gun free school zone, which is in its own way horrifying and also, <laughs> you know, what's the opposite of a gun free school zone, <laughs> you know. Yeah, so it's, you know, so it's it was really struggling with that. Um, and also just wanting to write about professional wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> Which is its and, own merit, honestly. And her, her sure. passion, her great passion for it. So, um, so I, I want to finish up by talking about the Writing Pathways program. Mm -hmm. um, it's a workshop series at the Yoga Deck in Trafford, Pennsylvania. And the about page includes a quote by Stephen King. I'm, Stephen King. I'm just going to read it real quick. Mm -hmm. um, writing isn't about making money, getting famous, getting dates, getting laid, or <laughs> making friends. In the end, it's about enriching the lives of those who will read your work and enriching your own life as well. It's about getting up, getting well, and getting over. Getting happy, okay? Getting happy. Yeah, love that. So... <laughs> I'm wondering, how did you become involved in the Writing Pathways program, and what is the mission of it? Okay. Um, well, the Yoga Deck actually moved from downtown Trafford, PA, to North Huntington. It's now in a cabin, which is really awesome. Cool. Um, but about two years ago, I met this magical woman <laughs> named Tanya Spritz-Kappas who opened a yoga deck in, in my hometown of Trafford, which is a really... Um, you know, it's a it's an old mill town. It's struggling economically. You know, there's no businesses, very few anyway, uh, there. And she had this idea to open a yoga studio right in the middle of that. And I thought, she's crazy. And then I thought, she's amazing. And so I started to go to yoga there, and she knew I was a writer. And she said, would you ever teach writing workshops here? And I said, sure, yeah, but nobody's going to come. And they did. Um, so we had a writing workshop in, in Trafford, um, a group called the Trafford Writers Workshop for about two years. And then she moved the yoga deck to this new space. And it seemed time to like sort of rethink um, how we were going to offer the workshops. And so to tie them closer to, um, you know, healing arts practice. So the pathways are five different pathways. And the first one is getting in touch with childhood and trying to um, reconnect. Like when people think about writing of childhood, they often think of trauma. And we do have a pathway that, that deals with trauma writing. But the idea is to really sort of get in touch, Camus said, with those one or two images that first gained access to your heart, that idea to go back um, and to and to talk about writing as happiness. Like people don't talk about writing as happiness. We say, it's hard, it's awful, it's blood on the page, it's so bad. And it really is all those things, but the act of having done it and the act of sharing it with others is like, I think what I was saying, peace. I also mean happiness, you know, that there's something in creating art and sharing art with others in a supportive space um, 
that I think makes life better. And so I think also the pathways idea is sort of hinged on that last essay you were talking about. It's like, how do we live in a world where these horrible things happen? How do we remember the good, you know, and how do we write from that? So, um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. No, fully, absolutely. But <laughs> absolutely. It sounds like a very kind of like positive yeah. Uh, yeah. environment. Um, but I'm, I'm also curious because you were telling me a little bit before we started about how that might be uh, developing a little bit more. Is that something yeah. that you can speak yeah, to? Yeah, yeah, okay. absolutely. Well, I, I teach at Pitt Greensburg, and I have a, a charge this summer to create a healing arts program on our campus. Um, and my idea for doing that sort of stemmed from the writing workshops, writing pathways, and um, a summer uh, weekend that we, we sponsored last year called Be Here Now, which was... Um, a weekend of you know writing workshops and yoga and food writing and you know eating <laughs> lots of eating eating is important um, so it really stemmed from that and also just noticing with my students and with myself and with all of my friends um, again trying to live in the world as it is right now so I've never seen the world be so difficult on people you, you see know? that on campus as oh well? so much so the students having so much trouble with anxiety and depression and just overwhelmed and, you know, and, you know, having difficulty, n not just coming to class, but just functioning, you know, in general. And so I guess in, in, in my, in my small brain, I think, well, writing helps me. Um, art helps me, you know, things like yoga help me and maybe they'll help other people too. And you put those things all together and you get, you know, sort of a reason to get out of bed in the morning. Um, so hopefully we'll have the healing, the first healing arts courses will be in place um, on our campus in spring of, what are we in? 2019. 2019. So 2020. Yeah. So spring 2020. Um, and then hopefully expand from there to have a center for it on our campus. It sounds like a fantastic program. Thanks. I um, I'm curious. I know that one didn't start yet, but uh, speaking of the writing pathways mm -hmm. one, are there any kind of like stories that you can talk about? Like, so what, what kind of people come to it? Uh, what has been, I guess, maybe the impact that they've seen through it? For Well, for the ones that we have done so far and like the, the first like official pathways one is starts the 19th. Um, so, but the Trafford Writers Workshop, uh, we had participants from ranging in age from 17 to 83. Um, oh, wow. Which is awesome to me. Um, I used to co-direct the uh, summer festival at Chautauqua Institution, and that was all built on um, you know, intergenerational ideas, like mm -hmm. that you, know, you get people of all generations together and you have something really incredible happen. And um, so that workshop was really wonderful for the participants and the level of, of commitment to their writing. But in the end we had a core group of about 10 people and every single one of them has published at least one time most of them multiple times since they first started um and they are awesome and they continue to meet informally on their own every week now so we were meeting um twice a month before and they're like that's not enough so um so that it's really really great and uh, I'm, I'm super proud of them and we had readings in Trafford, like public events. Um, and again, I'm like in the middle of Trafford, who's going to come to these and they were packed. So people were there t for them to hear them. And um, they all publish chapbooks and they have those. So um, 
Yeah, it was a really great experience, and I love every one of them. They're they're just wonderful people and wonderful writers. And they're good to each other. So it's fantastic. Something that we need more of. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, happy yeah. happiness. Yeah, it's good. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, well. Lori, it was great talking with you. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's so good. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to In Brackets, the literary podcast of Hot Metal Bridge. A very special thank you to Lori Jaquila and to our assistant producer and interviewer for this episode, Tyler McCloskey. I'm Avery Keatley. Don't forget to check us out on Spotify. We'll see you next time.